The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off, but returns for Sunday night, Monday morning show. Good morning. Well, it was an interesting day yesterday. You just testified under oath that you never owned a private jet. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter into the record an uh, article here from February 15th of 2023 that the John Kerry family private jet was sold shortly after accusations of climate hypocrisy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, do you stand by that testimony Not that you've never I, owned or I personally, your family? I your family. personally, yes. My wife owned a plane and sold the and plane. You flew on that plane? Uh, not in a number of years, and, but I have flown on it, and sure. this article is not then inaccurate that your family owned a plane. <laughs> you flew on a plane. The- <laughs> it's like, no, your, your family did. Your wife, it was under your wife's name. <laughs> oh man, what a zoo it was uh, uh, yesterday! Oh, how's everybody doing? Huh? Uh, well, the uh, the whole Coke thing is uh, the whole uh, Coke investigation apparently is uh, over, and the Secret Service doesn't have a clue. Now, from what I know, there hasn't been any. Um, uh, did they interview anybody? That's one of the questions that was asked. That didn't seem to come out of the statement. They looked at uh, physical evidence. They looked at the cameras outside. But did they do any interviews? Did they do any drug testing? Really doesn't give you a lot of confidence in the Secret Service, does it? Doesn't really give you any confidence at all in the Secret Service. What is probably supposed to be the most secure building on the planet. And after almost, what would be, uh, let me see, uh, let me see, uh, 11 days, 12 days of investigating, they have nothing. 
in my opinion, if they there's not a better explanation, I heard they're supposed to do a press conference tomorrow or something. I think they came out with a statement after members of Congress came out and just said, "No, this is just this is this is just uh, you know ridiculous." But uh, from the statement they put out today, I didn't see where they said after doing extensive interviews, drug testing, whatever, and then found out uh, what twice last year pot was found. Just amazing, just amazing. You've just sent you've just sent the message to the entire world that you can sneak, forget about whether it's cocaine or not. You can sneak a powder into the White House. You can attempt to do it, and the Secret Service, the message being sent to the world, and and I you know I think that's one of the things here that when you look at it right now, you know I remember when uh, when uh, this goes back a couple of years ago. Now, actually, probably, no, it goes back maybe a year and a half ago. It was because re- it was really early on. Um, it was early on in the in the in the Biden administration, maybe eight months into it, where she said the American people are looking at every this and saying nothing works. Nothing from government actually works. And it's been accelerated to the point now where you look at it and it's like none of the in- Nobody has confidence in any of the institutions anymore. I have the polling coming out about what uh, the latest uh, 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 polling on what uh, you know people think about uh, 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 Joe Biden and whether he took bribes or not. Because it's really interesting because it shows that the public, no matter what the Democrats say, the Democrats, Jimmy Raskin, out there again here in the last 24 hours saying, hey, this is all just conspiracy. We know it's not conspiracy theories. We've walked through the entire thing. None of this evidence is Republicans just throwing out an accusation and then trying to find evidence and cherry pick evidence uh, that that um, that fits their their narrative and leaving out other evidence. None of it is what we saw during the Democrats, uh, you know, claiming that Trump colluded with the Russians to hack the election. None of it's that. As we have stated over and over again, everything that has come out. Uh, Hunter's laptop. That wasn't an accusation, which then they eventually found the laptop. The FBI had the laptop. They knew that it was legitimate. In the case of Hunter and Joe Biden, everything is based on either direct evidence from one of the suspects himself, the laptop, suspicious activity reports from accounts that nobody is debating, bank accounts that came from the Biden family. Nobody is debating the legitimacy of the fact that those accounts were in the Biden family, nobody is debating that the suspicious activity reports that banks look at, because banks are looking at going, okay, is there money laundering here? What's going on? This is suspicious, this money moving here and there. And so suspicious activity reports come out that they sent to the Treasury Department. That evidence is from the Treasury Department, and the rest comes from whistleblowers inside the FBI, inside the IRS. But what you saw yesterday, in my opinion, 
is just the continuation that everything is broken. The Secret Service is broken. The FBI is broken. The IRS is broken. The Department of Justice is broken. With many of those, when you look at it, the FBI, the Department of Justice, corrupt. As for the Secret Service, is it complete incompetence? Are they corrupt? Because if it comes out, if they do an interview uh, on this and or a press conference on this and state, well, no, we didn't do any interviews at all, then there is... Who the hell wouldn't do interviews for something like this? All right, who came in? All right, let's find out the staff that came in and who they brought in with them. Were extensive interviews done? Was drug testing done? And so you look at everything from, you know, you look at uh, that cocaine gate that's been in the news the last few days, and then you look at the... You you look at the response from the White House themselves, which everybody looks at and said, wait a minute. You know, I saw Kaylee McEnany yesterday say that if this would have happened, the first thing she would have done is gone to Trump and say, you need to say that your family is not involved in this. You need to come out. You need to address this immediately. She said, that's the kind of sense of urgency that you would have. And what you got from the White House, the Biden White House, was completely the opposite. Corrine Jean-Pierre telling lies. Not willing to address it. Coming out over and over and over again saying, the Secret Service will get to the bottom of this. The Secret Service will get to the bottom of this. How many times did she repeat that? The Secret Service will get to the bottom of this. The Secret Service will get to the bottom of this. We have confidence that the Secret Service will get to the bottom of this. And then it was, what, a week ago? Where it was like, okay, indications are they're never, never going to find out, you know, where this came from. Wow. But you look at it, Biden wouldn't answer any questions, never has addressed it, didn't come out and say, because that would be the logical way that you would do it. And people aren't stupid. They know it. The American, What the American public wanted is president to come out and say, this is extremely serious. And it's not just because somebody brought cocaine in and might be doing cocaine. But it's not a family member. We're going to get to the bottom of this because the White House is supposed to be secure. I live in the White House. If you can sneak in that powder, you could sneak in some other powder. So the Secret Service needs to get to the bottom of this. Did you hear that from the White House? No. Did you hear that from Corrine Jean-Pierre? No. Did you hear that from John Kirby? No, you didn't hear any of that. Nothing. And that's what the American public would expect in something like this where... Americans want the White House, irrespective of who is in office, they want it protected. And it seems like to the White House, and even the way that the Secret Service responded to this was like, eh, whatever. Almost, you you get the impression that, oh, okay, we're not concerned about it because we know where it came from. 
we know there's not a security breach here because we know where it came from. Otherwise, there would have been more of an intensity of concern, and there wasn't. And then you take that with, and I have Jonathan Turley talking about the, you know, the 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 director Ray. Remember, Jonathan Turley is a Democrat. Said the FBI is just is treating the American public like chumps, and accused accusing Ray of lying, of not telling the truth. So we'll get, but all across the board, you look at all the major institutions that we have. All the major institutions on the federal level. And people have no confidence in their ability to do things right, either through total incompetence or they're corrupt. And that's where the American public is right now. We've got a great show ahead. It's the Friday show, 866-90-RED-EYE. On a hot summer day, the last thing you want to feel is a blast of warm air when you turn on your air conditioning. A malfunctioning AC system will leave you uncomfortably shifting in your seat, not to mention it can affect the safety and performance of your entire vehicle and your productivity. Keep your AC system running smooth and your deliveries on schedule this summer with the following maintenance tip. Replace your cabin filters at least once a year, as dirty cabin filters are possibly the most common cause of AC system malfunction, or worse, failure. Replace your cabin filters more frequently if you operate in a dirty or humid environment. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed. Brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. Bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find Great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. 
he is Eric Harley. He has a morning off, but he returns on Sunday night, Monday morning. And I'm Gary McNamara, and I'm here for the Friday show. Uh, just looking at some of the quotes from uh, Speaker House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday on the whole cocaine gate. Quote, this is the most secure uh, building probably in America just to get into the door before you go through the gate. You go through security as a member of Congress. When I come with my own security, I still have to go through security. McCarthy told Fox News. They have cameras 24-7. Maybe not in that hallway, but there's cameras everywhere else. Uh, It just seems to me when it comes to the Biden family, they get treated differently than anyone else. McCarthy noted that there have been three different official locations of the discovery within the White House. District of Columbia first responders reportedly said over their radio that it had been found in the East Wing Library, while more recently the Secret Service said it was found in a cubby near the Situation Room. Responding to questions about the location earlier this week, National Security Advisor uh, Jacob Sullivan said the particular area is under construction and less traveled than usual. If they can't tell us who brought it, then what else is happening in the White House, McCarthy says. That even concerns me more now because of the discussions we have in that building, the places that are, and the situations uh, situations are being discussed and actually being decided in that building. McCarthy said it was outrageous that illegally controlled substances can be discovered in the White House and its front-facing staff can barely muster a response that satisfies the public interest in identifying a culprit. And that, you know, as we stated before, that's key to all of this. You know, the response from the White House said the president has never commented on it. Think about that. If it was a Republican in the White House, would they want a response from the president on it? And you would think, if I'm president, that's the first thing I'm going to be looking at. And it's not just its not just the fact that it's cocaine. It's that powder got in there. And we all know that every single terrorist in the world would love to be able to sneak in, well, I don't know, anthrax, fentanyl. And so the security of the White House and nobody, it almost seems like eh, it's no really no big deal. Uh, he, uh, on, uh, on Fox News when McCarthy was on, they played a uh, clip of White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre calling one reporter's question about a potential suspect incredibly responsible. McCarthy said the cocaine incident is not the first time there have been questions about the Bidens and their associates and how they've handled controversies. When the Hunter Biden laptop became public, what did the Biden family do? They used our soon-to-be Secretary of State to go out and call people in the intel community to sign a letter and tell the American public that it was false when they personally knew it was true. He said, citing how a former CIA director's testimony to Congress 
claimed Anthony Blinken was the impetus behind the letter aimed to discredit the New York Post bombshell story. So the thing is, when you are, and we know the, the, the president and the people surrounding him, when they're pathical liars about everything because they're trying to protect their own posteriors, and we know it, they lie about everything, or they just don't answer any questions, or they deflect, then they do it in this particular instance, which, again, it's two-pronged. The question is, you know, when you, any investigator, all right, where the cocaine come from? All right, who's had a cocaine problem? We know that answer. That has to be addressed in any investigation. And the other thing is security. The security lapses. How did this happen? And there seemed to be no concern from the White House at all. None. None. The security issue, none. Which then, if you have an investigative mindset, you're asking yourself, why is there no concern? I'd be concerned. You'd be concerned if you were in the White House. If that happened. Because you know, if you're President of the United States, you know that there isn't a terrorist in the world that wouldn't like to sneak something into the White House to harm a president of the United States. And you'd be concerned because of your own self-interest of staying alive. No concern. None. From this White House and the president. And then at that point, you have to ask yourself, why? And I'm sure Congress will be trying to get delve deeper, saying, well, how did you investigate this? Did you interview people? Did you drug test people? Because right now, the perception is, even from the Secret Service, eh, whatever, we you know, we tried. We couldn't find the evidence. We can't find physical evidence here. Well, how far did you go in your investigation? Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. The Bonus Show. Hey, it's Friday Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. Well, how is everybody, huh? How, how you doing today? Man, and, uh, a little bit, uh, I mean, it's just normal. I mean, there's, nothing's unusual. I did see yesterday, I had a, uh, I saw a memory on Facebook that I had that uh, showed that a year ago yesterday, was the hottest my pool water ever got. And it was 100.4 degrees a year ago yesterday. That's my pool water. Now, I have no trees. 
and it was one of those weeks like we have now. It might have even been hotter where it was like 108, 109 degrees, and it didn't get much below 90 at night. So my pool water was at 100.4. I didn't check it yesterday. I I might try to check to see what the temperature is today. I just didn't get a chance. But I was like, what? It's like, you need a a chiller. Everybody was, you know, throwing out suggestions. Well, you need to get, you know, attach one of those things, you know, to your, uh, your, your, uh, the, the pool spouts and that, you know, puts the water in the air and, and, um, you know, reduces your pool temperature 10 degrees. And my only response to that was, yeah, I thought about that, but I like the water warm. <laughs> During this time, you know, and it's, uh, you know, between now and, and, and August, uh, when we have those days where my, the, the pool gets above 95, I actually enjoy it. <laughs> my, my buddy from Buffalo wrote to me and said, that's what my sauna's at. Or my hot sauna. That's what my hot tub's at. <laughs> no, and I have no algae problems at all. None. I don't have any algae problems. and <laughs> I, think, I think the sun kills the algae. <laughs> no, I, I have the proper chemistry in, in the in the pool because you don't want your pool to get out of control. One thing I'm on, you you end up, you know, on Facebook joining, you know, different groups out there. And the one group I'm part of is pool maintenance, just to see uh, how other people, you know, when they have problems, uh, you know, how, how they take care of their pool. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people out there that own swimming pools that are completely and totally clueless. They have no idea. And it's not that hard. I mean, it really isn't. I mean, I have a saltwater pool, uh, which I believe is easier to take care of. But I was talking to my dad today and having the same conversation uh, with him. And he said, well, when was the last time you tested the chemicals in your pool? Because most people would think on days where it's 104, 105, 106, you're testing every day. And I told him, I said, well, I I checked my pool probably about... uh, I said, in fact, I checked it about 10 days ago. I said, uh, uh, actually, I checked it about uh, 13 days ago. It was right before I went to see him in uh, in Buffalo. He said, you haven't checked your pool since? I said, no. And he said, have you added chemicals? And I went, yeah. And I said, but it's sort of like, you know, it's uh, it, <laughs> in my mind, the, the pool is a living, breathing thing. And I know how it responds. And, uh, and I said, I bet you if I go and, you know, and I use the strips, you know, you, to check the, you know, all the, the different, uh, you know, chemical makeup and, uh, of, of the pool. And I said, well, let me do it when you're on the phone with me right now. And I said, I bet you it's perfect. He said, cause do you add chemicals? I go, yeah, I just know what to add this time of the year. He goes, come on. I said, no, let me check it. And I went and checked it every, you know, everything was perfect. Everything. <laughs> so, so it's easy. Uh, but you just, you have, you know, that's one thing you have to pay attention. And I have, I've had a pool 16 years now. So basically you don't even think about it. You just say, okay, time to add this time to add that. And 95% of the time, all my levels are exactly what, where they need to be. But, um, I actually enjoy this weather. I was doing law. We got up to like 104, 105 yesterday and it was cloudy until probably 
one one thirty in the afternoon. I was out doing lawn work, and so it was it was like eighty, and all of a sudden the sun came out, and it's going up four or five degrees every hour. As soon as the sun comes out, and so I'm just hoping. I did a bunch of lawn work yesterday morning, so I I hope that is the um, the, uh, the the situation uh, today that I can get some lawn work done because there's still things I've got to do outside. It never stops, does it? Uh, all right. Well, we had an interesting week, as always. Next week's going to be really interesting. In fact, we'll hear uh, from uh, uh, James Comer, head of the Oversight Committee, because next week, whistleblowers testify under oath. Yesterday, it was Christopher Ray. Excuse me, two days ago, Christopher Ray, FBI director. And it went as we works as we expected. We again believe that the Republicans missed an opportunity to ask really pertinent questions, you know, not just what not what uh the FBI has done, but specifically the things that Ray is accused of saying. And I checked yesterday and I went through as much as I could of the of the uh, the his testimony from the day before and from what i can see apparently nobody asked the question the number one question that we had uh, we would have had for ray which was james comer said that you lied and did not have you did you claimed you did not have you know that bribe document that the whistleblowers claimed was there and you told us you didn't have it you lied about that until they told you they knew it existed. Is that true? And that would have been the first question we would have asked. Eric and I both agreed on that, because what you do is just like any lawyer would do if you're in a court of law. You attempt to destroy the credibility of that witness, question one. And... You know, you also, I mean, I, uh, Comer, I mean, we, we have uh, uh, said, you know, he was basically blunt on that, and so was Grassley, that no. And I guess the point would be, did you tell them you didn't have it? Did you lie to them? Did you just not mention that you had it? What precisely? Now, Comer said, and Grassley has said, no. He told us, you know, said this doesn't exist, and then we told him we knew it existed. So you catch him in that lie. You catch him in that lie, look at all possibilities. You catch him in that lie, or you catch, either way, you catch Comer and Grassley in a lie, uh, because you know you're, we're looking at all different possibilities. You're looking for the truth here. That's what you want. And so that's what I would have asked. But uh, let's go to Jonathan Turley here, because, uh, as we know, constitutional law professor, who is a Democrat, I wonder... Has anybody asked him the question after everything that's gone on the last few years? Are you going to remain a Democrat? And what are the Democratic policies that you like? Because it doesn't seem he likes many of them. And it seems like he has as much trust uh, in the federal government right now as Donald Trump does. But here is Turley yesterday. 
Well, Brian, this is what we've seen in the past. It was a false appearance of contrition and substance from the director. You know, he only apologized for things that have all violations have already been found by courts and Congress, by the way, against the best efforts of the FBI. And so for things that are already established, he went ahead and said, well, we'll never do that again. But in terms of the violations that we've already laid out in terms of censorship, uh, F uh, FISA violations with the secret court, those are already laid out in the public record, uh, he just refused to, to comment. Sometimes he said that he didn't have any recollection. Uh, and it was a, a maddening experience. I mean, the thing is, Congress has to make a decision here. You know, they just went through an entire hearing where they were given nothing. He was far more detailed uh, when Eric Swalwell asked him about the FBI Family Day. With that, he, he, was, he, he just held forth at length. But when he's asked about censorship, he gives answers that seem rather obviously false. You know, he, he said that the FBI focused on foreign disinformation. That's just not true. I mean, we have the emails. I mean, it, at, at some point, you're treating the public like chumps. Uh, Jonathan Turley yesterday, then he continued. And a lot of times he, he would say, I'm not familiar with that allegation that's been in the media. It's like when voir dire, when you've got a prospective juror saying they've never heard of a case on every network. You know, either the, either, either the prospective juror is lying or they live in a van near the river. I don't know which one uh, you're comfortable with. But with, with FBI director with uh, Ray, uh, he kept on saying, you know, I was, I'm not familiar with that particular allegation. I haven't seen that particular letter. These are things that have been in the media for months and it's the same type of evasion he could have answered some of these questions and he just chose not to so the question is what is congress going to do about it uh, they have a very serious censorship uh, scandal uh, this we have a 155 page opinion from this 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 court you've got the twitter files that you just mentioned brian there's ample evidence to show that what the director said yesterday does not comport with the truth so the question is what is congress going to do about it there you go if and put yourself in the situation if you're the FBI director and you came in after Comey and you look at the rot and you know the rot is there, would you have answered questions uh, like Ray did yesterday? No, you would not have. Because you would look at it and you say, the public doesn't trust the FBI. The FBI was involved in hiding things from the American public. I'm coming in. I need to clean up this mess. I need to be transparent with the American people. And he was anything but. And I think Turley brings up the you know, the greatest point that he's saying over and over again that the FBI's only, you know, gone after, uh, you know, uh, foreign entities when it comes uh, to censoring them. And that's just not true. That is a lie. And it's interesting because Turley is actually challenging the Republicans. Are you going to do something about it? Are you going to challenge him? Now, does it mean that they bring him in, that they attempt to impeach uh, you know, the FBI director, who knows? But obviously, and we said this yesterday, they really didn't accomplish, I didn't expect them to, to accomplish much, but when you hear Turley talk about it, what was accomplished is you know that the FBI director is not telling the American public the truth. Now, whether it's lying to Congress, whether you want to go down that role or not, or whether you just want to promote the fact and get the political win 
with the Biden, you know, and go, by going after the Biden administration, that the FBI is corrupt. Because the American public, a majority, believes they are. But the fact is, what is Congress going to do about it? What do the Republicans plan on doing? Now, next week, we know the whistleblowers are going to testify. In fact, there was another whistleblower story directly going after, I thought it was going after Comey uh, yesterday. I got to, I'll have to find this here. Um, it's an article that was written on it. On more, we'll find it coming up here. But it was it was really interesting. But you've got the IRS whistleblowers uh, next week that are going to um, that are going to uh, uh, testify under oath. We'll see if we can find that. Plus, we'll have some polling. Uh, even Democrats split on Biden taking bribes and in, in the Hunter Biden uh, uh, scams. So there's a huge problem that they have. The American public believes the majority of Americans believe. And this goes back a little ways. The American public believes that, uh, you know, uh, Hunter Biden was given a pass, that the Department of Justice gave him a pass. The majority of Americans believe that. And so that is a great question from Turley. Interesting to if you, see if that question was asked to a Comer or a McCarthy or whatever. What are you going to do about it? He's lying to you and he's lying to Congress. You're going to allow that? You're going to promote the fact that he's lying to Congress? Because I haven't seen an outrage from Republicans yesterday that Ray lied. I haven't seen any Republican as strong as Turley was right there. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off, but he returns uh, for Sunday night, Monday morning show. Good morning. Well, the uh, the actors officially now are on strike. Hollywood is shut down. So the question is, is that a bad thing? <laughs> oh, did you hear Robert Iger from uh, Disney did an interview on CNBC yesterday and uh, admitted that, you know, getting involved is the last thing. I want Disney to be involved in is the culture wars. Well, you're in it, and you're still in it. <laughs> you claim you want to get out, but you're not getting out. So we'll get uh, to uh, 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 that story. Uh, and uh, more on uh, the uh, the whistleblowers and, oh, oh, oh yeah, the latest polling out there that you'll want to uh, to hear. And... An analysis, numbers coming out on the deficit right now. Man, not good. That more on the way. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. 
From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we're Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. He returns for Sunday night, Monday morning show. He's got it. Well, he'll be, he'll be here last week or next week. He has to be because the whistleblowers will be testifying, and that will be fascinating. We'll hear from James Comer coming up in just a, a, a little bit. I still chuckle, uh, and I, I just uh, had previewed uh, some of this here. Uh, the uh, the actors have gone on strike. The writers have gone on strike. Hollywood is completely shut down. Uh, here is uh, uh, Fran uh, Drescher, yes, from The Nanny, who uh, is the head of uh, SAG-AFTRA. Uh, here's part of what she had to say yesterday. Thank you. Thank you, Duncan. And thank you, everybody, for coming to this press conference today. It's really important that this negotiation be covered because the eyes of the world, and particularly the eyes of labor, are upon us. What happens here is important because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor by means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run. We have a problem and we are experiencing that Right at this moment, this is a very seminal hour for us. I went in in earnest thinking that we would be able to avert a strike. The gravity of this move is not lost on me or our negotiating committee or our board members who have voted unanimously to proceed with a strike. It's a very serious thing that impacts thousands, if not millions, of people all across this country and around the world. Not only members of this union, but people who work in other industries that service the people that work in this industry. I'm sorry, but I just, I'm smiling the entire time. I just, I, I know she is the, the head of the union, but I just... I just smile because I don't buy it. I just it's just seen her so long in in uh, in, uh, in in Hollywood. I was just reading a John Nolte from oh man, just a brutal article uh, in uh, in National Review or National Review in uh, in Breitbart, and he used to work for National Review, I think, or was it? No, no, it wasn't. It was uh, the Daily Caller, I think. That's where he was. Uh, but he just he just pounds on them, saying, "Look, they hate me." And <laughs> And want to normalize stuff that I don't agree with whatsoever. Uh, he says, which means my only obligation is to open a lawn chair and cheer on the carnage. With the scribe strike now finishing its 71st day and the actors union, he wrote this just before they went on strike, just 30 hours from a possible labor action. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers are planning to dig in hard this fall before even entertaining the idea of more talks with the WGA. I've learned not uh, Halloween precisely, but late October for sure, uh, says a top-tier producer uh, uh, close to the negotiations. The end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their homes, a studio executive told Deadline. 
and now acknowledging the cold as ice approach. Several other sources reiterated the statement. One insider called it a cruel but necessary evil. Per the, per the report, the WGA is desperate to meet, but the studios are saying, nope, nope. Not, not going to happen. He <laughs> writes, we're too busy coming up with shows like Cooking in Hell, From Starstruck to Star, Remodel This, Amish Cartel, Naked, Afraid, Gay, and More Naked, Keeping Up with the Kleins, Pansexual Bachelorette, <laughs> just Bigamy in the Hinterland, if the Screen Actors Guild <laughs> goes on strike which appears imminent other than reality shows, and that's the point he's trying to make. The reality shows could still go on because they're not part, they're not, they don't have writers and they don't have actors. But I just love the, the titles that he came up with. Uh, movie and television production will cease. Eric and I talked about this yesterday. Look, one of the things with AI, and when you look at the negotiation, and I understand Fran Drescher coming at it from the union point of view, you know, they've got all the greed. They don't know where anything's going to be going. They don't know 10 years out. Streaming, AI, they have no idea where it's going to go. That was one of the things that was talked about is the fact that they don't know. Things are changing so quickly. You know, when we were on vacation last week, I mean, the ESPN blowouts, you know, blew my mind. You know, you think about it. I mean, they just... It was some of the top anchors that had been there for years, like 20 of them. It's like gone. Sorry. Everything is changing. People get their entertainment, uh, get their entertainment elsewhere. Not that you can't have blockbuster movies or blockbuster TV shows. Yeah, they exist and writers are necessary. And of course, uh, good actors are, are necessary in some cases. Uh, but you know there is a there's been a pushback, been a pushback against uh, what's been going on. You saw it with ESPN. You're seeing it with Disney. You know, Iger yesterday was on CNBC saying we shouldn't have got involved in all that stuff. And as we know with Hollywood, and this is a point that Nolte's trying to make, <laughs> they're our cultural and political enemy. Uh, and he basically said they shut down. So what? Come on, here's what he writes. Come on, y'all. If Hollywood shuts down, what are we missing? Next year's awful batch of 500 TV shows that serve no purpose other than to clog up our streaming menus with hostile, hateful, anti-entertainment that's so bad, even their creators, uh, so bad, even their creators call it content. What are we missing? The latest franchise reboot that, uh, woke rapes everything we love about the original so the sexless girl can be taken over by the emasculating uh, by emasculating the hero oh, <laughs> the strike will create no hole whatsoever in my life and if it creates one in yours you need to look around because there are plenty of truly terrific pre-2000 content left to be discovered and rediscovered and I'll say this, you know, I'm looking at it, and again, I've, there's there's always been a lot of crap, but there seems to be more crap. Eric and I went into the conversation yesterday. Our entertainment is, is from YouTube. I find the things that individuals do much more innovative than what's coming out of in, in Hollywood. 
I remember I remember in it was in the nineties, the early nineties, where I really got into uh saying I haven't seen a lot of movies and I went on a movie binge probably for ten years where I watched everything. And now I'll look back and say, Nope, seen it, nope, seen it, nope, seen it, no, seen it. But and there were trailers that would get me really interested in both television shows, but mostly movies. Now there isn't. Very selective as to what I will watch coming out of Hollywood. And I would say the majority, in my opinion, which, again, younger people may view it differently. Well, number one, I hate the reality shows. I've hated all of them. I mean, from Survivor on, just was never into any of them at all. Just, it was like, nope. Uh, in fact, it would sort of tick me off. There's nothing on but reality shows. I'm done. I'm gone. I mean, I just hate reality shows. Why? Well, no, it's just not my thing. Uh, why? Why? Because it's fake and edited. <laughs> well, except I don't watch it much anymore, but the first couple of seasons of Bar Rescue was interested, and then it became formula. You know what's going to happen. It's still... Uh, to me, though, the thing about Bar Rescue as a reality show, and and I know that behind the scenes, and I know you know people that were involved in in some of the bar things, and some of it was manipulated and made up. But still, the thing about Bar Rescue, the reason I was attracted to that, is the reason that I'm attracted to some of the things that I watch on YouTube, and. That is, I love figuring out people's business models. Now, YouTube provides a lot more. I talked yes last night about how I watched a ton of different documentaries on North Korea and what's happening in North Korea, you know, since the, the, the pandemic and how they shut down and and how that story of pe- the starvation going on in North Korea is way underreported. And that was, you know, that was fascinating. But I also love, I love watching individuals do things. I'm fascinated with people who do things that I would never do, but there's a a particular romance to the lifestyle. You know, I've watched the people, you know, when, especially during when, when COVID hit and, you know, people, the whole van life thing. And then that got a little boring because it was people basically saying, well, you know, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to do this. I'm like, no, 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 no. In fact, but I did watch, even yesterday, I did watch, found uh, uh, another uh, woman. What's her name? Sarah, I think it is. Very young, vivacious woman who got herself a van. But she's like a, not a visiting nurse, but a visiting CT tech. So she travels all around, you know, three-month contracts. And then she bought a van and she lives in her van instead of an apartment. I went, Oh, okay, that's an interesting business model. But but that's what attracted me to that was the business model. So we're all very specific in the things that we like to watch. And I think as we get older, you get a lot more choosy. And I will say that I look at a lot of the, not that there aren't some good comedies that are out. Or that were out. I don't know any that I'm currently watching that is part, well, 
I mean, everything's shut down now, but anything in the last year, uh, the last comedy I really watched, and I watched more of the reruns, and that would have been uh, Last Man Standing, which I thought was wonderfully written. But other than, uh, you know, that, it's like, eh, I look at the old, you know, comedies that are that, that are out there, and to me, they're just, they're funnier. I just relate to it. Now, it may be partly because of nostalgia, but I look at where everything is going in media and in streaming and in YouTube and what my interests are. The fact, and and when I'm saying my interest of, because my interest doesn't have to be your interest, but you could still be addicted to YouTube because you can find exactly what you want. My father, who was really, again, uh, when he was 80 years old, ah, computers, who he's on YouTube constantly. Now, what he's watching is car repair shows and and anything on aviation, whether it's military jets or whatever. Those are the things that, that he loves. My sister, who was not, you know, really uh, any type of techie at all, now has, you know, her iPad and it's constantly on YouTube because you can pick the topic that you want and then you can watch what you want exactly when you want and it's not formula. You can find people without an agenda. You're not constantly saying to yourself, does this have an agenda to it? And this day and age where everything is agenda, mostly from the left, I think people are looking for, all right, who are people that are just putting out, you know, are producing content, that are content providers, that are providing me something that's interesting and unique. And now with YouTube and, you know, I've got the new, Eric and I both got it, the Lately, here in the last uh, couple of months, the what is the S23 Ultra, and you see the kind of video that you can create with it just with your phone and the way the individual software that people must have where they can put together things that are as good as anything that you see on TV. It's like I think that's changing everything. And I do think that Hollywood doesn't know where everything is going to go. And I do think they understand. I do think one thing they do understand is money. Because if the lesson has been learned this year, whether it's Disney, whether it's Bud Light, uh, uh, you know, uh, whether it's ESPN, people don't want to pay to be lectured. They don't want to pay for an agenda. They want to be paid to entertain. And you can see the people that wish to entertain, the movies that wish to entertain, still can do blockbuster business. But with Hollywood so ingrained into the far left, you know, I, I think they look at it and go, we don't know what our revenue is going to be. And we don't know how AI is going to affect it. We don't know how the technology of tomorrow where we might say, look, we can't afford. Look, if if you want to if you want to have woke programming and you can't sell it, jobs have to be cut. 86690 red eye surviving and thriving as an owner operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue like the chief financial officer of any company you have to be concerned about rising costs especially without increases in revenue trying to reduce costs let alone make sense of them can be a complicated task 
Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. A penny saved could be $1,000 earned. Saving just one penny per mile over 100,000 miles driven annually will deliver $1,000 to the bottom line at the end of the year. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology. For more information, go to OverdriveOnline.com to the Overdrive's Partners in Business section of the website for more detail on Business 101 and many other topics. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. And in talking about, you know, the the Hollywood strike, because really everything's going to be shut down. And they're talking about for months this may go on. We'll see. But that's how far apart they are and how unsure of the future. But when we talk about content creation and talk about the fact that the you know whole entertainment industry is different, I know it is for me. And that's why I'm bringing up my experiences and Eric's experiences, too, that, you know, we can pick and choose what we want at at YouTube. And that's the thing. I can get exactly what I want when I want it. I mean, from music to documentaries uh, to one of the things I love are the the uh, people that just take a camera and they go traveling all over the world. And, you know, South America, Africa, and they just walk around and meet people the most amazing thing and they do it in in with great production quality and you're like i can't get this anywhere else i can't get stuff you know like that so individuals with you know creating content for example now this would be a show and the media the the networks wouldn't have to produce this but this is something and i had this audio cut here this is something that that i would watch if you wonder you know where my interests lie this is something that I definitely would watch. If you and Trump got in the ring, he loves his UFC and stuff like that, right? If you got in the octagon, you and him, who'd, who'd win? Come on. Guy's 78 years old. I'd kick his ass. <laughs> now, see, I would watch a cage match between Trump and Chris Christie. <laughs> and it's like, what would that be like? And I'm thinking... You're thinking about one of the old shows that we all love. If you're old, uh, Cheers. You remember when the uh, Norm, I think, was separated from his wife, Vera, and some old, some guy he knew, a friend of the family, wanted to date Vera, and he was just as fat as Norm. And they got into a fight, and it turned basically into sumo wrestling <laughs> with them pounding their bellies against each other on the bar floor. to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, I'm here. Eric uh, is off today, but uh, doing some marketing for the show. He's okay. He's not sick or anything. 
He'll be back on Sunday night, Monday morning show. You know, it's interesting because just uh, saw a Twitter post. Someone suggest one of our great listeners suggesting, oh, you have to watch Dry Bar Comedy on YouTube. Oh, I have. And it's just, uh, that's one of the things. <laughs> I, I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking uh, when the, the Comedy Channel first came out and they would run Gallagher, <laughs> the comedian, the late comedian Gallagher, would in the 80s would be on in the 90s. Actually, it was the 90s, and it would be shows from the 70s and 80s where he was on constantly. It was like every time you turned it on, it was Gallagher. But uh, no, Dry Bar Comedy uh, features some great, I mean, just great comedians. And yeah, very fa- fa- family oriented, but funny, funnier than you could imagine. And you know, I I think about when you we're talking about the Hollywood strike. If I'm going through the channels, it's like no, 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 no. Oh, Mash. <laughs> oh, what episode? Oh, I've only seen that one. Four million three hundred and twenty-two thousand. 433 times <laughs> one more <laughs> but that I mean, i'm exaggerating but you know that that's how because of what's on tv today you go through and you're like nothing 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 i find myself when i was on vacation last week i found myself having to force myself to get up because i'm finding the exact content that i want oh and i'd mentioned about when when uh uh, one of our great listeners brought up, uh, you know, dry bar comedy. A couple others said, and music. There's tons of music. There's, it's true. Uh, last week when I was on vacation, there I'm sitting in front of the TV. <laughs> you know what it was? I flew back early in the morning. Whenever I fly from Buffalo early in the morning, the rest of the day is wasted. I have all these great plans. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but I fly early in the morning. I sit down in the recliner, and it's like, nah, I'm not doing anything all day. I'll just see what's on YouTube. But uh, I put YouTube on basically music shuffle. I'll find, you know, somebody that I like and, you know, whatever, and hit that, and then it just shuffles and puts stuff on. Well, I'm sitting in the other room. where There's two bands I discovered last week. Uh, And as soon as I discovered them, I was fascinated by their business model. The music was just different. Definitely not stuff I listen to all the time, but I'm I can get into anything. But the first one was a band out of Branson, Missouri. They highlight in Branson, and I'm sitting there and I'm in the other room, and all of a sudden I hear I'm in the, doing stuff in the other room, and all of a sudden I hear the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm like, that's not Queen. What in the world is this? I come walking back out, and there's this band on. It's a gospel bluegrass band. They play in Branson all the time. And when I saw them, I went, well, they look like a cross between the Waltons and Donny Osmond. But the musicianship was incredible, and they did a bluegrass version of Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's the Branson-based gospel bluegrass band the petersons and they're a family the mother plays it's i'll say this again 
the Waltons, Donny Osmond, because the one brother looks just like his haircut looks just like Donny Osmond. <laughs> and the Partridge family, because the mother plays the big bass and trumpet once in a while. And I guess mm, she may play, but they all sing. And I'm like, wow, how do they do this? I started investigating it. Doesn't seem like they have a record company. They've just been on, they've learned to use social media in the last couple of years during COVID because they've been in Branson for over a decade. I think they've been together for over, you know, uh, 10 years and it was her mother and father. Their father was, uh, I think, in the Air Force, I believe, and all over the, the world. And music is what kept them all together. And now they, you know, they're one of the longest running, I guess, bands in Branson. And then they go on tour and, uh, but they, you know, they, they're on the Patreon app, app where, and I looked at it and they have, I don't know, a couple of thousand people that pay a couple of dollars a month and they get, you know, whatever they can get, but they're pulling in, I think it was close to 17,000 a month just from the app of people interested in them. I'm like, well, that's a great base just to be able to do all the videos you want and cover production cost and all that. And then the, I guess the selling of their CDs and. What, uh, you know, and their concerts and everything else. It's like, wow, what a business model. I'm like, that's really interesting. And so I watched a ton of their videos and just went, this is not what I'm really into, but I'm just addicted to it because they're just such great musicians. And there was another band that I, I found that just by complete accident. And there I am, I go, what in the world is this? And it's two sisters out of Austria. The Mona Lisa twins, and they're known because they do a uh, they were, did a residency at some big club apparently in London. They're from Austria, and they were known for doing oldies and Beatles, and then started doing their own stuff. I mean, just excellent, and the production quality as good as you can get anywhere in any video. And to me, that's fascinating because it shows, and this all relates going back to you know Hollywood. It shows you've got two complete different genres of music gospel bluegrass and then uh basically a uh what was a cover band that then started doing originals and his three albums of originals and combine it all together and so they do what they want it's not a producer telling them what to do it's not a record company so you look at it and you're like wow they just go off in all different directions this is just great and it's them it's they are the content provider. They're not being edited. They're not being directed. They're the ones that decide what to do. And it's excellent stuff. And they're doing it on their own. I find the business model fascinating. I find the fact that it shows that if you produce good music, whatever genre it is, you don't need the record companies anymore. You don't need, you know, the MTVs, which we really don't have them. You know, they're there. They exist, but it's not a big thing like it used to be, you can do it on your own. How is that going to change Hollywood? Those are some of the questions that I had just from, you know, seeing. And for me, I don't pay for content. I pay not to have the commercials interfering the content that I want. That was bizarre. Because when YouTube came out with the fact that whatever it is, because you get a few months free, and I my first year, I think I 
was it last November or December when I decided, okay, I'm, and I'd say it was at the cover band that I've told you about, Lexington Lab Band, that made me say, I've got to, I can't handle the commercials anymore. And it was the best, it's the best thing I've ever paid for to get content. And it's, I'm paying not to get the commercials interfering with the content, and it's the best money that I've ever spent because I get exactly what I want and really no commercials unless they insert the commercial into their own video. And normally it's, you know, very short when they when they do that or much more palatable because it may be a live commercial coming from the artist that you actually like. So that's, like I said, that's why I look at this Hollywood strike and say this is where everything is going into a different dimension. Everything is different now. You don't know where the business is going to go. Uh, I mean, how much will YouTube and independent content uh, you know, uh, uh, providers. You look at independent movies out there that that exist. Uh, I know that in my town that I'm in, they're building a huge music studio, or music, huge movie studio here in Texas. Not in my town, the town next to me that I live in. Huge music. I was like, what? Yeah, they want to produce movies in Texas. Is Hollywood going to have... With everything changing, is Hollywood going to have the monopoly that they've had for such a long time, or is that gone? And so when I heard Fran Drescher out there, of course, it's the union saying the greedy this, the greedy that, the greedy this. But where, since everything else has been turned upside down, the music business turned upside down, uh, you know, because of social media and what you can get. And what you can produce. And you don't need, if you're good and you have a little bit of money and you can convince a couple of thousand people, boom. You know, as as they these, these bands have, you know, in the um, Patreon app where they actually raise funds that way, you know, they can keep growing and growing and growing and do it on their own. Will that be the same for movies in 10 years? Does Hollywood lose their monopoly because they're so agenda-driven and it's just the technology that exists out there makes it available to become more independent? And I think the question is, for the a lot in, in Hollywood... The money people, which is, we don't know where it's going to go. We're not sure we're going to be able to do this. We're not sure we're going to be able to pay this. So I just, like I said, I just find it uh, all uh, uh, fascinating, but I'm not going to miss it. I'm sort of like John Nolte from Breitbart. You know, I, there's, it's not going to affect my life at all. <laughs> and most people probably saying, well, hold it. What is it? Beginning of July? Oh, training camp starts for the NFL. Football's on. <laughs> that's that's the only content we need. <laughs> All right, 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio.
It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has a morning off. It's you and uh, me. Coming up, some new polling on what Americans uh, believe on uh, the uh, Biden's taking bribes. And it's a problem for uh, Democrats, as we have said. The problem is, no, no matter what Christopher Ray does, no matter what Jamie Raskin, you know, what, what he says, the public already believes, the majority already believe uh, that, and, and and the majority, and there's, you know, there's a number, there are significant number of people that are, I don't know, but the difference between uh, the majority that believes that the Bidens may have taken a bribe and those who don't is huge. That's a huge problem because you can sit and watch Christopher Ray as I have over the last couple of days, and you get frustrated because you want the Republicans to ask questions because it's like I, you want to get to the truth. And let's be honest, you want to come to a conclusion. This damn thing's been going on for so long. It's been going on since a Hunter Biden laptop story this October. It's three years old. And it's like it does get frustrating. I hear from our listeners all the time. When are we going to come to a conclusion? When are we going to come to a conclusion? It's like, well, sorry, I have no control over that. But I can tell you what direction it's going in. And none of the direction is favorable for the Bidens or the Democrats. So uh, we'll get to that uh, coming up, some of the specific polling. This was really interesting that came out yesterday. According to a new CNN report, a growing number of top Democrats and donors are reaching out to potential replacements for President Biden as a 2024 Democratic presidential nominee. Several aides of top Democrats have already told CNN that the lack of a more robust of, of the lack of uh, of a more robust campaign activity from the Biden camp has signaled to them that the current president isn't actually running again, despite his insistence that he is. As a result, they are keeping their options open. So this is Democrats telling CNN, we don't believe Biden is really running. That was really the thing that had come out this week. Maybe it might have come out last week. I was on vacation, but when it, definitely when I came back this week, I went. It's not only conservatives saying it. It's Republic. It's you know Democrats. And this story came out. You know, these some of the stories, source stories that you see, then the CNN story coming out. Democrats uh, within a Biden circle claim, however that this is just another bit of underestimating Biden, who won the 2020 Democratic primary and the general election, despite doubts from many in his party. I think they're thinking of the basement strategy again. Democratic Party doesn't seem to believe, or a significant portion, doesn't seem to believe that's the path to the presidency again for Biden. More coming up. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is 
is Red Eye Radio. And I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off, but returns Sunday night, Monday morning. Hi. Welcome. What you doing? We're here on a weekend, huh? Some hot weather we're going to be dealing with here. But uh, it was actually hotter last year at this time. So, yeah. We uh, will make it. Well, got to have some fun. It's a Friday, right? We didn't get a chance to play this this week. It actually came out, I believe, last week this came out. When we were still on vacation. <laughs> just never got a chance to play it, and I have to because it's just hilarious. You know, it was the, it, uh, it's uh, the woman who impersonates Kamala Harris, who's known as Esty. And she's done it on YouTube a ton of times. I think she's been on Fox News a few times. But this is the whole culture thing. <laughs> and so you'll hear Kamala Harris speak and then her do her impersonation after. And she does it a couple of times. But it is funny. Well, I think culture is it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And not just any time. Right? And we're talking about the passage of time. And all the times we have passaged. Present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment. That is a reflection of joy. Because, you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And when you talk about joy, you know, for different people, that can be a different thing. In in the White House, uh, when we think of joy, we think of white substances. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just kidding. You know, not really. (laughs) We have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and, and, and a connection. We talk about a lot. We, talk, we don't get anything done, but we talk a lot. <laughs> and that's, that's what America is essentially about. You know, joy, languages, and white substances. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the one thing that she does? She does a, such a great impersonation. But the the way she takes her lip, she lowers her lip. And it really, uh, it, it <laughs> when she's doing Kamala, she lowers the lip. And it's like such, it's like an arrogant confidence <laughs> that you see from Kamala Harris as she is talking that she actually believes she's communicating some great idea to you. And this Esty who does the impersonation, she just lowers her lip when she does it. I just, I lose it just when she lowers the lip. I have no idea how she does it, but that's really good. I, you know, she, I, I'd rent myself out to parties. <laughs> if I were her, I'd be doing every Republican party, every Republican luncheon, every Republican dinner. <laughs> You name it. 
She should take questions from the audience. Oh, man. That's one of the problems, though, that the Democratic Party has now. I mean, we were talking right before we went to the break about the new CNN report. A growing number of top Democrats and donors are reaching out to potential replacements uh, for President Biden as the 2024 Democratic presidential nominee. You know, it continues to go on. He had a mess of, of uh, gaffes again when he was uh, uh, overseas. Uh, you know, the the entire thing of, and, and, you know, this is, I I think one of the things, the Democrats have to look at how the White House responded to the whole cocaine thing and just go, what the hell are you doing? Because if you knew that it wasn't a member of the family, if you knew Hunter, if it wasn't Hunter's Coke, Wouldn't the normal thing to do, as we have stated over and over again, come out and say, it's not the family, we're really concerned about this, and whoever has done this, we recommend they be prosecuted because this cannot be allowed to happen, and we need to look at security protocols here at the White House. They didn't do that. So uh, let's take, let's, there's a possibility that it was his, Hunter's, there's a possibility It wasn't. If they truly believe it wasn't, why did they act the way that they did? Are they that afraid to comment on anything? And that's why I believe the campaign, yeah, they put the campaign out, but they're not really campaigning. And so you've got Democrat donors and Democrat leadership saying, what the hell's going on? He's not campaigning. He's not answering really any questions. He's just out there walking away. That moment last week, and we've talked about the moment where he turns his back and walks away from the camera. But when he walked to the helicopter last week, and they're screaming about the cocaine, and he just keeps walking. The imagery is horrible. But I think inside the campaign, they believe they can do the same thing they did in in twenty in uh, in 2020, which is... He doesn't need to talk to anybody about anything. We really don't have to campaign. They are so afraid. They were absolutely paranoid, even though I'm sure there's some in the White House press office that went, he's got to address the cocaine thing. And then others said he can't. He doesn't have the ability to do it. And I think that one of the things, I think the response to the 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 cocaine uh, situation really probably upset a lot of Democrats who said he can't communicate, they can't communicate anything effectively. And if they believe it wasn't Hunter Biden and it wasn't his coke, then they've got to be even a, a, a lot more angry because they're like, well, they knew it wasn't his coke. And and they can't even respond. They can't communicate anything. And anything they communicate is laughed at and found out extremely quick that it wasn't true. And that was Green Jean-Pierre saying that they weren't in the White House on Friday at all. And then being indignant about it, and she was wrong. And so you have that. And then I think the the cherry on top of it all was the fact that He missed another dinner with world leaders. And you ask why? Well, because he's so busy. No, he's not. 
He can't handle the normal schedule that a president of the United States can handle or should be able to handle. Obviously, all the other leaders around the world, they were able to handle it. Biden can handle it because of his age and his cognitive abilities where they are scared to death to put him in any situation where he has to communicate with individuals without a script. He screws up the script enough, but they don't dare put him out where there is a group of people. And and the thing about it, when I say this, I'm like, my God, how dangerous is that? If we ever had a national emergency, how how would Biden handle it? How would he? You can't trust anything because they don't trust him. And that's a problem, and the Democrats know that. CNN's report titled Slow Pace of Biden's Re-Election Campaign Feeds Democrats' 2024 Anxiety, open with the picture of, of the doubt that Biden's apparent campaign efforts have, uh, have sown among the party. It stated the conversations keep happening. Quiet whispers on the sidelines of events, texts, emails, phone calls as top Democrats and donors reach out to those seen as possible replacement presidential candidates. According to aides and others concerned or connected to these individuals, they feel that despite what he has said, despite that the campaign has been announced, that Biden will not be running for re-election. Remember, not Fox, CNN. CNN claimed uh, that they feel like time is already running out and that the lack of a more robust campaign activity they want to see is a sign that his heart isn't really into it. See, I would disagree with that analysis. I would say his heart is into it. He wants to be president again. It's just the people around him know that he can't handle the rigors of a campaign. I think they would be, I think the people around him would be fine to just go in the basement again and do fewer public uh, appearances than he did four years ago and hope to win. And I believe the people around him in the campaign believe that Trump will now be the Republican nominee and that Biden will be Trump so they don't need to go out there. I wouldn't be surprised if Biden runs and come the debates next year just says, nope, not going not gonna to debate against Trump where he just doesn't debate. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if well, I would be surprised if he pulled out because it's gone this far. And I think what you're getting from some Democrats is animosity, too. They're angry. They don't believe he's up to it and shouldn't be running. And he's still running, and they believe he's hurting their party. And then the other thing Democrats are worried about is third party. And this comes from thehill.com. One article from CNN, this one from The Hill. Neither conservative media outlets. As Democrats stare down the likelihood of President Biden taking on former President Trump again, concerns are growing. 
that the third-party candidate could act as a spoiler for the party in 2024. Cornell West, he's as radical left as you can get, recently announced his presidential run with the Green Party, raising the stakes for Democrats in an already precarious election. As TheHill.com reported, West's challenge as a third-party candidate is stirring up unpleasant flashbacks to Hillary's loss in 2016. Many in Clinton's orbit blame Green Party nominee Jill Stein as a factor in her loss to Trump. And so they're worried big time. And then the other one is if Joe Manchin runs. And that's the no labels. The organization advocating for a third-party candidate is hosting Joe Manchin at its New Hampshire town hall meeting next or town hall next Monday. The senator's appearance as a keynote speaker adds to growing speculation that he will make a third-party run. And what the Democrats are worried about is he'll pull way more from the Democrats than he'll pull from Republicans because Joe Manchin is not liked in Republican circles. Uh, Manchin is up for re-election next year, and while he has yet to announce his 2024 plans, he has not ruled out a presidential bid. Well, the fact that he is uh, is the keynote speaker for the No Labels Party shows he's considering running. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. The whistleblowers, the IRS whistleblowers, will be testifying next week before the House. We'll hear from uh, James Comer coming up following the bottom of the hour. But one of the other problems, and Democrats know this, you know, Democrats are, you know, you have Jamie Raskin out there still <laughs> playing the Adam Schiff. There's nothing there. These are wild conspiracy theories. Well, we know they're not that they're not conspiracy theories. The evidence that Republicans are using against Hunter Biden comes Hunter and uh, Joe Biden comes from Hunter's laptop that nobody is debating that it's legit. Their evidence is coming from whistleblowers. These whistleblowers have come forward under oath. These are not Republicans making the allegations. These are whistleblowers that work for the FBI and the IRS that are uh, testifying under oath and seeking uh, protection from uh, retaliation. And the other evidence that they're looking at right now, which uh, again, uh, Comer says he will re- release uh, next week are more wire transactions. These are the movement of money through bank accounts that banks recognized in suspicious activity reports. And the suspicious activity reports come out because they look at this movement of money and says this looks like money laundering. That's why. And they send it to the Treasury Department. So none of this is like Russia collusion, as we've repeated over and over again, but it's important to do so, to understand that Russia collusion, that Trump colluded with the Russians to hack or change the outcome of the election, was a lie created by the Hillary Clinton campaign. They had the allegation that was created by the Democrats that was a lie that they sold to the media and sold to law enforcement in order to investigate the Trump campaign, 
uh, to get a FISA warrant, to start a special counsel, but it was all created. It was a con job on the American public by the the Hillary uh, campaign, but they had no evidence against Trump. Completely the opposite here. And and so uh, that's the problem that the president has. Democrats know it. Jamie Raskin may be out there stating it. Republicans, or excuse me, Democrats may be out there stating the the FBI is wonderful and everything is wonderful and everything is wonderful. This is all about saving Trump. It's not. And the other problem they have is the people know it. People overwhelmingly believe it's likely that President Joe Biden took up to $30 million in bribes in scams connected to his first son, Hunter Biden, and now even Democrats are starting to believe it's true. In the latest test of voter faith and the president's denials, 56% said he probably took bribes from sources tied to China, Russia, and Ukraine. 27% said they think that it is unlikely. The rest, I don't know. That is a huge margin. That is what? 29 points? That's more than a 2-to-1 gap in the latest TIP online survey. The survey is bad for the White House because it shows voters don't believe the president. The numbers, 39% now of Democrats believe it is likely that Joe Biden took bribes, 42% unlikely. So you almost have, you are, you're getting close to almost a plurality of Democrats, of Democrats uh, believing it. Uh, so you've got uh, 39% uh, versus 42% for Democrats. Republicans, 80% likely, 9% unlikely. And independents, 56% likely, 22% unlikely those are horrible numbers so i know people get upset when they then they hear that you know christopher ray and they hear the response of jamie raskin and the democrats refusal to acknowledge that there's any problem at all but the but the problem for the democrats is the, the information that the republicans are putting out is believable because it isn't coming from the republicans without evidence republicans are responding to the evidence that came from Hunter Biden, the banks, and the whistleblowers. That's why there's a problem for this president, and every Democrat understands that, even if they won't say it publicly. The Bona Show. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. I'm here, though. Uh, Eric returns uh, for Sunday night's uh, show. The other thing that, uh, of course, that the Biden 
campaign has, the Biden administration, or say the campaign, because we're talking about a couple of things here, the, the third-party concerns that they have, both of, of um, the uh, Green Party and Cornell West running and also the possibility of Joe Manchin running. You don't hear Republicans saying, oh, you know, we need to ensure they're, they're not doing anything to try to stop those third parties because they know they're going to hurt the, the, uh, the, the, the Democrats. Um, the other thing is, and this is Biden on the issues. We haven't, we haven't gotten to the issues yet. You know, he's dealing with the cognitive problems. He's dealing with the fact that uh, many people believe that he doesn't have the cognitive ability to even perform the duties that he has right now. And that was highlighted again by missing the dinner at uh, the uh, NATO summit this week with other, uh, you know, international dignitaries. That's something you have to be at. They don't trust him. They don't trust him for any length of time to be out in public, maybe for a couple of minutes uh, when he has, uh, again, as he did uh, in uh, in Finland, where he has the list of pre-approved reporters to go to. But other than that, to leave him alone in a room with world leaders and nobody in his ear advising him what to say, they don't trust him and the American public knows it. Uh, everything that happened in Cocaine Gate and how the family responded, which is not how anybody would expect a president to respond when cocaine is found in the White House. There seems to be no concern at all. And then you get into the scandals. As we, you know, and we'll get more into it now about the whistleblowers coming up here in a little bit and hear from uh, uh, James Comer. It's going to get worse next week when these whistleblowers testify from the IRS under oath. When you have, we played the audio cut earlier, Jonathan Turley talking about Christopher Ray, saying, what are the Republicans going to do? He's lying to them. And we'll get more to that also, more of the specifics uh, of that. And we haven't even gotten to the issues yet. Because it's actually the issues where Democrats are the weakest long term. If you just stick to the issues, if you take the personalities out, if you take Trump's name out, if you take DeSantis's name out, if you take Biden's name out, and you simply ask people where they stand on the issue by landslide numbers, they agree with the Republicans. Now, will the Republicans use that to their advantage? (laughs) Eric and I have always had confidence that they won't. But the fact is that advantage is there for them. They don't have the advantage. They keep pushing the activist, you know, the 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 uh, radical activist transgender uh, movement. They keep pushing that. They're not going to win that one. And there's pushback now big time. They're not winning on critical race theory, the cultural issues. By the way, the cultural issues are worth fighting, especially if you explain them correctly. My suggestion is you know, the woke thing is okay, but you're sort of talking to the converted when you do that. Explain the issue. 
explain. You don't need to use the term woke. Say what they're doing here is immoral. Who the hell? I'd say it this way. Who the hell? What type of perverts want to teach sexualized content to five-year-olds? You tell me you don't convince independents by saying it that way. You don't have to say it that way all the time. But there has to be a certain amount of outrage and disgust that you put in that. Don't just do it under the generic, oh, they're too woke. That's not woke. That's evil. And and so it's important, I believe, to fight the cultural issues. But you win it by how you explain it and how you communicate it. Because that's been out there. I mean, I've seen that in the last couple of days. Well, the Republicans are too much on the cultural issues and on the scandals and not enough on the economy and everything else. Well, they they do need to focus on the economy, but the specifics of the economy. I want a Republican out there every day saying Biden believes and I I, I want um, uh, every Republican candidate running. Biden believes you can run the 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 uh, the world on solar and wind. You can't do it. And this is serious. People will die. They won't have air conditioning. We don't have enough electricity to do it. Here's what they wish to do. And explain it in a very simple way. And there's no way you don't get a majority of Americans agreeing with you. You know, on the border, you got that one, one. And I know the Republicans are focusing in on the scandals of Biden, and that's important. But at the same time... You've got to be pounding on the economy. You had, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, uh, is it Jared Bernstein from the, uh, uh, yeah, uh, on with Cavuto yesterday, saying that there's been a $1.7 trillion deficit reduction. That's already been proven to be a lie. When he said it, I expected that the first thing to come out of Cavuto's mouth was, that's a lie. Washington Post said that's. A bot that's not only a lie, that's a bottomless Pinocchio. NPR just came out with this the other day. When they say that, Republicans need to respond. NPR, the federal government's deficit tripled in the first nine months of this year. Tripled. Treasury Department said yesterday, as Bernstein was out there yesterday, stating, oh, we've been $1.7 trillion uh, uh, deficit reduction. It's a lie. It's a complete lie. It got him a bottomless Pinocchio. It's a lie of all lies, is what that means, from the liberal Washington Post fact checker. Treasury Department said Thursday the budget gap from October uh, through, uh, I think this would be the end of March. Uh, No, they're through, they're through June now. Okay, through June. uh, The, uh, yeah, right. Through the first nine months of the fiscal year that goes from October to October, uh, it uh, it tripled. The shortfall adds to an already large federal debt, uh, estimated at more than $32 trillion. Financing that debt, this is NPR now, is, in, uh, is increasingly expensive as a result of rising interest rates. Interest payments over the last nine months reached $652 billion. So we're going to be close to $800 billion. Soon we'll be over a trillion. Interest is now the government's fastest-growing program that you have to fund. You have no, you can't cut on that one. You have to do it. But now we're already to $1.4 trillion 
through the first nine months. Republicans need to attack that. But if you take number one, everyone knows, everyone knows, everyone is at least questioning the fact that he can't handle being president of the United States. He doesn't have the cognitive abilities or as an 80-year-old, in his case, he is too old to be president of the United States. That's number one. Number two is all the scandals that aren't going away anytime soon. And number three, which is actually the one that is slam dunk with the voters, is where that he stands on all the issues. And the major issues would be the economy, the fact of spending caused the inflation that Democrats alone approved the border and what's going on at the border now. Okay, there's not a lot of focus on the border because they're just letting everybody in. And you can make inroads there now because big liberal cities are now seeing a significant portion more of their budget go to house migrants. So it's even a better issue to hit for Republicans now. On the cultural issues, it's a absolute slam dunk for the Republicans. And on foreign policy, I don't think Americans really are thinking about foreign policy right now. But on foreign policy, he can be destroyed, especially on Afghanistan, especially right now on Israel and his rejection of Israel, because most Americans stand behind Israel. And the fact that he can't handle being with other international leaders, he can't even go to the dinners. So, and as we mentioned, did I mention Afghanistan? I mean, Afghanistan's still sitting there in the background. But anything to do with with uh, uh, foreign relations, he's not going to win that. And so Democrats know it, and that's why Democrats don't want him to run. Any Democrat who says Biden is the best candidate, well, he might be, uh, <laughs> that he's the best candidate and he's handled things right and he has this incredible energy, everyone knows that Democrat who says that is gaslighting. Because the Democrat who says it knows it's a lie. The Democrat who says it knows that the reporter listening knows it's a lie. The Democrat saying it knows that the people that watch the reporters' networks all know that's a lie. So he knows he's lying. The media knows he's lying. The public knows he's lying. And he knows that they all know that he's lying. Not exactly a position of strength for an incumbent president, but that's where we are uh, right now, which is why that CNN story came out. And it's going to be growing. It's going to be growing. The whistleblower's testimony this week, under oath, is going to be pretty damning. I don't believe the Democrats are going to be able to do anything except deflect because they won't dare touch it, uh, expect that they will try to find dirt on the whistleblowers. So far, they haven't been able to find dirt 
on the whistleblowers. So I expect Democrats will just make speeches without asking the whistleblowers any questions. As they've done, they'll just take their five minutes to say this is all about conspiracy theories and about Trump. But that hasn't worked so far for Democrats in all of this. The polling consistently shows, and it keeps rising and rising and rising, that the American public, and now a majority of the American public, and almost 30-point difference between those who believe that the president is corrupt versus those that don't believe that he's corrupt. And that's really happened in the last couple of months. That's the problem. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric uh, has the morning uh, off. He's not sick or anything, just to make sure. Whenever he's off, I get people ask me, is he okay? Eric's fine. Yes. He's doing some uh, marketing for the, the show, so all good stuff. Uh, 866-90-RED-EYE if you want to get in. Coming up following uh, the top of the hour, we'll hear from uh, uh, James uh, Comer on the uh, whistleblowers that are going to testify next week. And also, we had a couple of things to say a lot of it a lot of what republicans said mirrored exactly what we said that what if this was anthrax what if this was what if this was fentanyl and there was powder on the outside and uh you know somebody breathed it in or whatever that there seems not to be any type of concern there does there's never been a sense of urgency in this that has been projected at all to the american public and it's just so bizarre uh, and we'll get to the uh, the whistleblower's testimony next week. Now, you're going to have Shapley. He's supposed to testify. And then whistleblower X. So I don't know how he, how don't know if it's a he, don't know how whistleblower X is uh, planning on, uh, on, on, on testifying. Uh, but that's going to happen next week. And at the same time, Comer has also said that, um, they will be releasing more bank statements that show the flow of money uh, and that combined the whistleblowers combined with that will actually, again, lead Americans down the path to understanding the corruption and the illegal corruption and the bribes that he says the Bidens have taken, and with the majority of the American public now, the vast majority, if you look at the difference between those who believe it's likely or not likely, that will be a problem for the president. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. It's Red Eye Radio. 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. He returns for Sunday night, Monday morning show. Good morning. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? Uh, just looking at making sure we want to get to all the stories uh, this week. Um, couple here. Uh, this headline here, I just you know, just shook your head saying, my God, there's, they have no self-awareness. Uh, New York City soft on crime DA Alvin Bragg admits getting a knot in stomach when family takes the subway. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, whose reputation for being soft on crime and not prosecuting the most violent criminals, admitted that he even gets a knot in his stomach when members of his family take the train in New York City. Do I have to go any further with this story? The DA was interviewed by a local TV station about the NYPD uh, crime statistics that show Hard crimes, um, uh, that you know the, about the crime situation in, uh, in right now in New York City, and ask him what he thought about it, and uh, he made that comment. It, it just, I, I'm sorry, it just reminds me of what happened the the uh, in in D.C. where that one council member who a couple of months ago was saying that. Crime is exaggerated in in D.C. <laughs> now has completely reversed it. It's like just no self-awareness at all. None. Absolutely none. So didn't want to forget uh, that story. Wow. You know, when I saw this story the other day, I, I thought about it. I went, you know, most people probably don't remember it. Most people alive don't remember it. And it was uh, Charles Manson follower, Leslie Van Hout, was released from a California prison. 1969. Wow. Wow. The Manson murders happened that long ago. Remember, she held down one of the victims and stabbed one of the victims 17 times. Uh, Newsom. Governor Newsom, who had stopped several efforts to release Van Houten, said he wouldn't, won't ask the state's Supreme Court to block her paroled release. There's no way she should get out of prison. No way. Well, she's not dangerous at 73. I don't care. No way she should get out of prison. You don't get out of prison for the crime that she committed. And I believe that the victims' families uh, also are behind uh, what I just uh, what I just stated. <laughs> I didn't know about this. You now we talk about the whole Bud Light situation. <laughs> uh, conservative dads ultra right beer. Conservative Dad's ultra-right beer, the woke-free alternative beverage for ale drinkers, boycotting Bud Light products, 
dropped a new advertisement in the form of a rebellious cinematic parody. Ultra-right beer took off in April after the CEO launched the conservative brew to hit back against Bud Light. The most recent ad shared Wednesday follows the CEO in a spinoff of the 1970s comedy Smokey and the Bandit, a popular film. Why, you have to explain these things to because so many people are so young because we're getting so old. Uh, a popular film featuring Burt Reynolds that followed the race car driver transporting an illegal shipment of beer across state lines. It's me, a fed-up American who's had enough of the woke beer companies and decided to do something about it, Weather says at the opening of the ad. I just didn't know that there was an ultra-right beer. I haven't seen it in the stores anywhere. Is it selling? Is it good? (laughs) It's very important. Now, the story of the week, I think, the story of the week uh, is twofold, both about the the same uh, topic. The fact that the whistleblowers, and we'll get to James Comer here in just a couple of minutes, the uh, the whistleblowers are going to testify next week, the IRS whistleblowers, and whistleblower X will testify live and his identity will be released. So you're going to have two whistleblowers under oath. And that to me was a, a big story when they when that was said. Also, Comer saying that they would release more bank records next next week. But I think that the adding to that, the email exchange that we talked a lot about yesterday between the executive of, of Burisma and Hunter Biden and his associates, that so far is the most damning thing that has come out. Because it shows the actual intent of Burisma and Hunter Biden was to get high-ranking U.S. officials. And at the point, they got the highest-ranking U.S. official uh, at that point, besides the president, which was Biden, to influence Ukraine to be nice to the Burisma leader. Remember, the whole impeachment of Trump was based on that. Trump was looking into it saying they're corrupt. This email shows that the intent, the intent of Burisma and the intent of Hunter Biden was to be corrupt. And so you you take that with also the the bribe, you know, the bribe document that came out, you combine those Together, that's the most damning thing so far that has come out. And that's another reason why I believe Democrats and CNN put out the story. Well, a lot of Democrats think that uh, the it's really low-key and that Biden's not going to run. One of the reasons they believe he's not going to run is because this thing is only going in one direction. And with the whistleblowers testifying next week, that's going to be a problem. But before we get to James Comer on on that, he was on with Sean Hannity on Fox last night. And first of all, was asked for his uh, comment 
from uh, Sean on the fact that the Secret Service, after 11 days, is saying, investigation done, we can't find out who it is. It's very dangerous. It's very disturbing. One of two things has happened here. Either, number one, the Secret Service is lying to us and they're covering for someone, or, number two, they're incompetent because this is supposed to be the most secure dwelling in America. And for the Secret Service to admit to the world that not only can they not figure out who dropped off a white powdery substance in one of three locations in the White House, that remember that story's changed three times where the cocaine was actually found, but also that uh, there have been two other instances where illegal drugs were found on the premise in the White House. This is unacceptable. Uh, we spend a lot of money, a lot of tax dollars to make sure that we have the best secret service uh, that money can buy, but yet they can't determine who brings illegal substances into the White House. I think that's that's very disturbing. And one of the other things brought up uh, in that discussion was the the fact that after 11 days, the Secret Service says, well, that's it. We can't find anybody. Well, have you done interviews? Have you done extensive interviews? Why would you close it after 11 days? If you don't know how that got in, which means it could be repeated again, why haven't you interviewed everyone involved in it? Have you have you interviewed everybody? Have you interviewed everyone? Have you given drug tests to each and every staff member that uses that particular area and anybody who came in with them or at least requested it because that's the whole point okay 11 days it's done well have you done a full investigation on it that's one of the questions that republicans uh are going to have i mean that just the whole thing and as we've stated yesterday and stated again earlier today that Let's say, hypothetically, you know, because there's there's two things. Either it's hunters or it's not hunters. Well, if they know it's not hunters, why did they act the way that they did? Why was there no sense of urgency? Because there would be a sense of urgency if it was my Republican, uh, uh, the my Republican candidate who I voted for who was president of the United States, it was the president I voted for, I would be extremely concerned, just like I'm extremely concerned, because this isn't about an individual president. It might be about his son, but this isn't about an individual president. This is about security at the White House, the executive branch of the United States the leader of the executive branch, the leader of the free world. And so everything from Corrine Jean-Pierre's response to John Kirby's response to the promise, the absolute promise repeated over and over again from Corrine Jean-Pierre that the Secret Service will get to the bottom of this. Well, they're not going to get to the bottom of it. And after 11 days, boom, they're done. Well, why not go on further? Why does the investigation have to end after 11 days? If you have no idea, no suspects, no idea, why would you end it? Why wouldn't you continue it and give an update saying we don't know yet, but we're going to go through the process of interviewing everybody uh, over the next month because there may be hundreds of people, because I've heard numbers of hundreds of people that could have been in that area in that three-day period, 
Well, then interview all of them. This is about the security of the executive branch of the United States, the leader of the free world, the White House. Why wouldn't you interview everybody? Nothing makes sense. Nothing passes the smell test. Because the smell is really bad from the reaction of the White House to even the reaction of the Secret Service and the constantly changing story as he brought up. Nothing adds up and the American people know it. 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Drivers must always be prepared for a roadside inspection. This means drivers should always have their personal, vehicle, and company credentials organized and ready, and having any shipment paperwork, such as bills of lading or hazardous materials shipment emergency response information, organized and ready for the inspection official. Just an FYI, The top two violations written against drivers every year, as well as during Operation Road Check, are log general form and manner and log not current. Both are completely avoidable if the driver keeps the log accurate, compliant, and current at all times. Having the vehicle ready for inspection involves the driver conducting daily inspections and making sure any problems that are discovered are immediately corrected. Vehicle readiness also requires the company to make sure that the vehicle is current on all scheduled maintenance and that the maintenance schedule is adequate. This will make sure the driver is being given a sound vehicle to start with. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, he has a morning off. I'm Gary McNamara, and uh, I am here. All right, I want to play this audio from James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee on the uh, whistleblowers, the IRS whistleblowers now. These are not the FBI whistleblowers. These are the IRS whistleblowers who will be testifying uh, next week, he gives us uh, an update. Uh, obviously, it's very encouraging to read the transcript that the Ways and Committees uh, had with the transcribed interview with the two Irish whistleblowers because they actually knew a lot about many of these shell companies, and I think they were on the right track until they were told to stand down. So the American people are going to get to watch live both whistleblowers, including uh, whistleblower X, who's never revealed his identity. He will do that the day of our hearing, and everyone can see, hopefully Fox will be covering that, Sean. And we have specific, substantive questions about many of these wires, about many of these shell companies, about potential money laundering, about potential racketeering. And I believe that these two witnesses are going to be able to answer those questions. So many times, Sean, you have these congressional hearings, and, uh, you know, they're all... They're all hat and no cattle. You don't really learn anything new, and they're not substantive. This should be a very substantive, informative uh, hearing for the American people. And this is going to be the first time the American people actually hear credible witnesses say under oath 
exactly what crimes have been committed by the Biden family. So there you go. Uh, That's and that's why I believe this is so far, you know, everything that's happened this week, uh, including the uh, the 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 letter that uh, uh, again, that was uh, released that again came from Hunter's laptop that Republicans were made aware of that showed that, you know, the Burisma executive, uh, you know, being in contact and what the intent was and the intent was was corrupt, was corruption, was uh, to get uh, uh, the highest American official possible or officials uh, to try to convince the Ukrainians to leave the head of uh, Burisma, the president of Burisma alone to solve this problem which is exactly what Biden did and then bragged about it. And uh, apparently what, according to that document, the bribe document uh, that uh, the FBI whistleblowers uh, have already uh, uh, pointed out, and it does exist as we know, and that the FBI claims and Weiss claims that they're now investigating or were investigating. We still haven't had clarity on, uh, on, uh, on that. That's been the worst of of everything that that's so far that has come out. And now, as we've stated, the evidence is that exists now comes from Hunter Biden. Comes from him. His laptop. It comes from the wire, the the actual wire transactions that Comer said more is coming out this uh, next week that will be more damning. And that was, again, the special the. Uh, suspicious activity reports that private banks put together when they feel there may be a possible crime in the transfer of money, money laundering, whatever. And they send it to the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department had it. And uh, then the rest of the test, the rest of the evidence comes from FBI and IRS whistleblowers. And I, you know, I wonder if the sock goes through my head because the story out yesterday about IRS whistleblowers concerning January 6th and the informants that the FBI used. We'll have that coming up following the bottom of uh, the hour. I wonder if there's ever been this many I, uh, uh, the IRS whistleblowers are not FBI, but investigative whistleblowers. I don't remember a case where you had so many FBI agents and law enforcement agents like the IRS agents that have come forward. I wonder if you've ever had this many before, because we know it's well over a dozen now. Has that ever happened? Trying to think of any other scandal that that that's happened. But here you're going to have, this won't be uh, uh, Ray avoiding questions. This will be uh, two whistleblowers under oath stating precisely, as he said, what they believe the crimes are. It's going to be interesting to see how the Democrats respond in the House to this next week. Listening to Red Eye Radio 
from the Uniden America Studios. And he is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So when, uh, you know, you hear Comer talk about uh, these whistleblowers coming forward, so far from what we have seen from Shapley, uh, because we know who he is, uh, he's been fearless. And the Democrats have not been successful at all. I don't think, you know, maybe somebody has tried to attack his credibility. I haven't seen it yet, but I know that when the previous whistleblowers about two months ago testified, uh, the um, Democrats tried to, you know, dig up dirt on them and, and tried to destroy their credibility. They weren't successful in doing so. But they attempted to do it. So I expect that they're doing everything on on Shapley, the on whistleblower X, though, it might be a lot harder because they don't know who whistleblower X is. So they knew the other four FBI agents that had uh, testified a couple of months ago, you know, they had known who they were beforehand. But uh, whistleblower X, they don't. And and so they may try to go after Shapley. Uh, you know, he's been with them for a long time. I haven't seen it anywhere. I haven't seen it even on social media where you might see an attack on Shapley based on a conspiracy theory or just anything. But I expect that the Democrats uh, will try. But there is a difference when you have a whistleblower testifying publicly and specifically uh, about a a particular incident or an investigation. So it's going to be fascinating. And with everything here that we have now, because what you have here in the investigation that that makes it that makes it different is you have the the FBI. Remember, the bribe form that the there was at the F. Uh, I forgot, FD-1023 form that they call it, which they claim they're still investigating, which means for over three years they've either, they either were investigating it, then dropped it, and started the investigation again when the FBI whistleblowers came forward. But what you have this week, which is why it's so particularly damning, and I know the IRS is a little bit different than the FBI whistleblowers because the IRS is looking for uh, tax evasion and the specific... Uh, the 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 specific allegation that you know they were told that Weiss could not go after and and do these particular things. It's all the same scandal, but they're from coming from a different angle of it. But I'm just trying to lay out the seriousness of everything that happened this week. And so the fact that you had the FD23 that came out was it over a month ago which said the FBI, you know, uh, had a uh, a form that stated that there's an allegation that a bribe was taken. And we know what the specific bribe actually is. We know that it's the $5 million between both. So we actually, we have that. You know, we have, we, we've, we've got the precise allegation of what the bribe actually is 
and then you've got the whistleblowers that, because remember, all the investigation is sort of part of the same thing. Then you have the IRS whistleblowers coming out and stating, and law enforcement wouldn't let them prosecute. But you had the, but on the other hand, you had the FD23. Then you had the other email coming out, the chain email between the head of Burisma and Hunter Biden and his his group, his enterprise that showed the intent of the bribe. And so we're getting into territory that's extremely serious, and Democrats know it. And that's why I think you're going to hear more even throughout this weekend as Republicans keep leading up to the whistleblowers coming forward uh, and more, uh, you know, uh, more actual uh, bank records coming out which continue to connect the dots, I think more than ever you're going to hear it's time for Biden to leave, it's time for Biden to leave, it's time for Biden to lead. I think things start heating up now once you have congressional witnesses for a specific crime. And the crime would be bribery and then the evasion of taxes. And so it's going to be fascinating. The other thing is the story that the Washington Examiner have, uh, FBI whistleblower, uh, uh, another FBI whistleblower says deputy director told subordinates to hide the FBI January 6th informants. An FBI agent told the House Judiciary Committee that deputy director Paul uh, is is either uh, Abbott or a body suggested that at least 25 FBI confidential human sources or informants involved in reporting to the Bureau from the January 6, 2021 protest should not be publicly acknowledged. Many FBI whistleblowers have come forward with their concerns about the Bureau as Director Christopher Wray is testifying before the House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday. This came out yesterday. Uh, They are making allegations, or two days ago, they are making allegations of politically motivated investigations, politically biased leadership, and misconduct by senior officials at the FBI. According to the whistleblower disclosure sent to the committee, Mr. Abbott or Abate, whatever, uh, notified one or more of his subordinates that the more than 25 informants uh, that were reporting on January 6th to the FBI were too problematic or embarrassing for the FBI to have their existence made known to the public and that the existence, activities, and identities of those FBI confidential human sources should not be released. The FBI, or excuse me, the FBI, the Washington Times reached out to the FBI but did not immediately hear back. In May, a man by the name of George Hill, a whistleblower from the FBI's Boston field office, testified before the Judiciary Committee's subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government that agents in Washington refused to share hours of video from the Capitol protest between the offices because there may be undercover officers or confidential human sources on the footage whose identities could be compromised. Marcus Allen, an FBI intel analyst, allegedly was retaliated against for forwarding information that called into question Mr. Ray's November testimony to the Senate about whether informants infiltrated groups responsible for the January 6th 
protest. Um, when Mr. Ray was asked whether the FBI had confidential human sources at the Capitol, he said, I have to be very careful about what I say uh, about when we do and do not and where we have and have not used confidential human uh, sources. But to the extent that there's a suggestion, for example, that the FBI's confidential human sources and FBI employees in some way instigated or orchestrated January 6th is categorically false. Mr. Ray later added, you should not read anything into my decision uh, not to share anything on confidential human sources after he did not outright dismiss a question of whether the FBI had those sources dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol on January 6th. Look, eventually this all has to come out. Because of everything that has happened, the American people want transparency. And I would hope the Democrats want transparency. I don't know where I don't know where everything leads. I know it's not looking good for the Biden administration. I know it doesn't look good when you have this uh, this many uh, you know FBI whistleblowers come out because it's got to be a big decision for anybody, an FBI agent. Uh, I know I can't remember her name, but the one FBI agent that finally quit and then came forward and testified, and she said it was the hardest thing ever. You know, she always, her goal was to be an FBI agent. She had to quit the FBI. She left the FBI because she couldn't deal with the politics and the corruption inside of it. That's got to be tough to do that and then come forward. You're in limbo for a while. You don't know how it's going to end up. You don't know who's going to come after you. It has to be an extremely tough decision, and I just can't believe the number of FBI agents. And we had always said this. We said at the FBI, the the rot and the corruption comes from the management. We never believed that it was the you know rank and file everyday investigative agent. And we were always asking, when will whistleblowers come forward? Well, they were not going to come forward during the Obama administration. They weren't going to do it. They didn't believe it would do any good. They had to wait till the Republicans got the House, and then they came forward because then they believed, okay, we're not just going to get buried. Somebody will actually pay attention to us for doing this, which could harm our career. At least we know we can get the message out. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. I know it's what I would be thinking. So I don't know. With the January 6th, I have no idea where it's going to go. But it eventually has to come out. You eventually have to find out what the, what, uh, you know, those informants, why was it embarrassing? What were they doing? It's important to know. It's important to know whether, you know, some were dressed and they might not have been. I don't know if they were dressed as Trump supporters and were encouraging. Because at that point, many courts would say, Okay, you might have a legitimate cause for entrapment if they were encouraging. What did they do? And the FBI director is saying, you need to trust us. Well, nobody trusts you. And that's the problem. That's why transparency will eventually have to come out in all of this, because you don't have any trust. And as Jonathan Turley said about Christopher Ray, he's lying. He's lying when he came out and said, you know, the FBI... You know, the FBI director saying, oh, we were, and this is when it came to social media and censoring, oh, we were only looking for, 
you know, international groups that were doing it, not domestically. He goes, that's an absolute lie. We've got the e- emails exist. He lied. He has no credibility anymore. Oh, and by the way, can I say the biggest political mistake of the week? You know, I played earlier where Chris Christie, was it yesterday or the day before it was on uh, with um, Piers Morgan? And I don't know why, but Piers Morgan said, you know, would you fight Trump in a cage match? And could you beat him? He goes, yeah, he's 78. I'd kick his ass. That's a quote. And I thought, well, that's stupid back and forth to begin with. But I went, wow. (laughs) You're sounding so cocky. He's out there this week complimenting Christopher Wray, saying it's theater and everything else. And here you have Jonathan Turley, who's a Democrat, saying he's lying. I, You know, Christie, and I I just, I I don't understand that. That, I think, made me wonder, does he have any self-awareness of the political party that he is actually running in a primary in? But that was just him complimenting. He's done it a few times this week, complimenting Christopher Ray, and is calling it theater. I'm like, why don't you just, you just going to become a Democrat now? Or uh, you going to become pro Disney? I mean, what's the? Do you understand the party that you're running in in a primary? And it's almost as if there was no self awareness for that moment. But he said it, and so he has to stick with it. Because Christie knows. He's no idiot. He knows what everybody is looking into uh, here. But, yeah, we have a really, really, really interesting week ahead. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has uh, the uh, morning off. Coming up following the top of uh, the hour, a threatened U.S. strike at UPS could be one of the costliest uh, in at least a century, topping $7 billion for a 10-day work stoppage. You think about this, you know, we, we've talked a lot you know, the UAW this week was, was one of our favorite topics, UAW coming out. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago that they, they weren't going to support uh, Biden. And then uh, here in the last week, it's the fact that, well, all these automobile companies are getting subsidies from the federal government and our salaries are going down. We went, well, yeah, because you're in a you're in a business where there's no demand. There's no demand for electric vehicles. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the American public, for the most part, may be interested, but they don't want it as their primary car. And number two, it's too expensive. And so that's why, you know, at the Lordstown plant, you're making 50% less making EV parts. Well, UPS is a whole different ballgame. People want stuff at their doors.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.